If you don't have your Bible open yet, open it up. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Let's pray. Who has ever given a gift to you, God, that it might be repaid? No one. You're the gift giver. You're the great initiator. You're the, you're the giver, so you get the glory. I pray that this morning you would give us faith to see, hearts that are humble. Would you glorify the work of Jesus who purchases for us the work of the Spirit who enables us to see anything. And so it's in the precious name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So this week, we're starting a conversation that we're not going to finish. So we're making it halfway through a conversation, and Lord willing, Luke's going to take us through the second half next week. So it's a little odd in that sense this is, there's not going to be a ton of closure on this passage, but what's astounding about this half of a conversation is that Jesus tells a leader of the Jews that he's not a part of the kingdom of God. Astounding. Jesus humbles this man with truth. That's what we're going to see in the first half. That's really what he's doing. Jesus is humbling this leader of the Jews, by telling him he's not a part of the kingdom of God. And that is astounding. Jesus is an amazing counselor. He's better than all the psychologists and all the pastors in the world. Everything he says cuts right to reality. He sees this man's heart, and he sees reality. And so we ought to take note. Jesus is humbling this man with truth, and as we listen in, this was written for our benefit, we ought to be humbled as well. Let yourself be humbled this morning. The doorway to wisdom is very low to the ground. No one enters into joy without passing low underneath it. Augustine old saint, lived in the 400s. He was writing to one of his students about the way of Christianity, and he said, the first part is humility. The second part is humility. The third part is humility. And he said, and I would continue to say that as long as you ask me. The reason that's true is because humility recognizes that everything we have is a gift from God, which means humility is the only posture that actually gives him credit. Proud people take all the credit for themselves, and therefore, they cannot glorify God. Humble people are saying, I don't deserve a thing. Every good thing I have is a gift. Therefore, you get the credit, God, and therefore, God gets the glory. So we want to be humble people. It's our most urgent application whenever we come to the Bible. That's just a general principle. I mean, you can come to the Scripture and it can say, thou shalt not steal. 
the most urgent application of that text is, are you going to bow low underneath it? Or are you going to stand over top of it? This is one of those passages where Jesus is bowing our hearts low by showing us that God gives, gets all the credit in the new birth. The new birth, what it means to be born again. That's what we're going to see. We're going to ask three questions as we walk through this passage. What does it mean to be born again? Why is it necessary? And how does it happen? Those are the questions we're going to ask to see that God gets the glory. So let's be humbled. In verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, we're answering the question now, what does it mean to be born again? So verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 7, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What does that mean? Born again. Nicodemus has no idea. If you don't have a clue, Nicodemus doesn't either. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So next week in verse 10, Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus he ought to understand what Jesus is talking about because Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. And Nicodemus is a teacher of the Old Testament. He ought to know what's going on here, but he doesn't. If you haven't turned there, you shouldn't have turned there. You're in John 3, Ezekiel 36. This is what Luke read at the beginning. Turn there, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. This was the call to worship that Luke gave. Just see if you hear any similar language. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. This is God promising, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, when Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus what it means to be born again, he refers to this passage, Ezekiel 36. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? Well, Ezekiel 36, water is cleansing us. Jesus means you've got to be forgiven. The sin you've done needs to be washed away, and you need to be changed. The Spirit, look at verses 26 through 27. The promise that God gives is, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, a heart that doesn't work, and I'll give you one that works. I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you to be careful to obey 
my rules. So Jesus is, he's saying, Ezekiel 36, God wasn't just promising the things you've done wrong. God's going to wipe those away and he's going to give you a new set of rules. He says, no, he's going to cleanse your sin. He's going to put the spirit within you and cause you to obey his statutes and his rules. He's promising to change our hearts to cause us to follow him, and he's promising to give us a new nature, a new nature. That's what it means to be born again. So just just think about the imagery that Jesus is using here, the imagery of birth. When you were born, who did you look like after a little while? Everyone looks like a goblin at first. I don't mean that you give it a little time, who do you look like? You start to look like your parents because you have your parents' DNA. So you got your, you got your dad's ears, you got your dad's big ears, you got your mom's hair, you got your dad's nose, you got your mom's crazy eyes, or some combination of those things. You carry their traits. It's in you. You can't avoid it. You resemble the family. Spiritually, that's true of you. It's not just physically true of you. It's spiritually true of you. You are a son or a daughter of Adam and Eve, which means you're corrupted. You're a sinner. Ephesians 2 says you're dead, spiritually dead. You're born that way. You don't just look like your physical parents on the outside. You look like your spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, on the inside. Because you have their spiritual traits, you want to be the center of the universe. You're born that way. Every little baby wants to be the center of the universe, and you grow up, and you get rid of the bad habits that annoy people. You still want to be the center of the universe. You're self-focused. You use other people to get what you want, lying to them, Lusting after them, hating them, bragging towards them, stealing from them, and your biggest problem, those are, that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is you are blind to the truth that God is who you were made for, and he's the only thing that will truly satisfy your soul. You're blind to it, and you're born that way. You don't see, and you don't want to see. That's in your spiritual DNA. You bear the family resemblance. That's what Jesus means in verse 6 when he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. If you've just been born of the flesh, if you just have earthly parents, then you're going to carry the DNA of your earthly parents, Adam and Eve's DNA, corruption, You need to be born into a different family. You see, that's what Jesus is saying? You need to be born into a different family. You need to be born again. Being born again means that the Spirit of God makes you something different than you were, a different nature than you had before, from a different family. Christianity is not simply a man-made organization. You get that? 
This is really important for the way we think about church. We don't affiliate with one another because we like to share the same interests and ideas. We're saying at the bottom, every single person in this room, if they are a Christian, is a supernatural miracle from God. There are no natural Christians. So change the way you think about the world. You're not a Christian because your parents were. You're not a Christian because you went to Christian school. You're not a Christian unless a miracle has happened to change you from one thing to another. In the new birth, God gives us new desires for him, love for him and others, sanity, so that you can see reality for the first time and love it. You can experience humility, brokenheartedness over the right things, forgiveness, joy in Jesus Christ. None of that can happen unless you've been born again. None of it. Born again, I don't know what your background is. I've not heard this until I moved here to the UAE. Born agains, for some of you, is a kind of Christian. So there are Catholics, there are Orthodox, there are born agains, there are Pentecostals, as though it's a smaller group of Christians. But Jesus is saying that being born again must happen to anyone if they are going to be a Christian. It's not, again, just an affiliation like, I don't like the Catholic Church. I like the way the born-agains do it. So now I'm one of them. No. It's a miracle where God changes who you were and turns you into something different. Why is it necessary to be born again? It's our second question. We've touched on a few reasons, but here's what our passage says. First... Being born again is necessary because you cannot enter the kingdom of God without being born again. So look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in Ezekiel 36, water represented cleansing, forgiveness for our sins. Spirit was promised to change our hearts. And Jesus is saying, if you're not forgiven and you're not changed, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Now, notice those two things go hand in hand. You must be cleansed, you must have your sins forgiven, and you must be changed. That's what it means to be born of the Spirit. Many people think that becoming a Christian and going to heaven is about primarily correcting bad thoughts. You had some misinformation. Someone told you the truth. You just scooted out the bad information and put in new information, and now you're going to heaven. And that's not true according to Jesus. Yes, information is important, but you need to be changed, forgiven and changed if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Second, being born again is necessary because you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So go back to the beginning, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's what's happening. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. We don't know why. Either he's embarrassed, he doesn't want people to see him, or you just can't get to Jesus during the day. There's so many people around, so he's coming to Jesus at night. But what he says is, we know that you're from God because you're doing these signs. We can see what's going on. And Jesus says to him, you can't see anything unless you've been born again. This is humbling. Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews. He's a teacher of the law. He comes to Jesus and acts as though he's on the inside. He's saying, we see what's going on here. We know what's happening. And Jesus says, you can't see. It requires an act of God for you to see. What a humbling thing to hear. He would say the same thing to you and me. Get this. There is not a single human being on planet Earth who can know and understand God naturally. There's not one. You get that? That puts everybody in the same boat. Not a single person can naturally know and understand truth about God correctly. 2 Corinthians 2.14, listen to this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You are not able to understand and accept God naturally. Jesus is not saying, listen, you can't see correctly, Nicodemus, so I'm going to give you a little help. Things are blurry. I'm going to make them a little more clear for you. No, Nicodemus needs to become a different person. He needs to be made new. Your soul does not need a pair of glasses because the truth is blurry to you. You need new eyes or you can't see it all. Your soul does not need to be repaired. Your soul needs to be remade. That's what Jesus is saying to this man. He wants Nicodemus to understand this problem is big. It's a big problem, guys. You don't just need assistance to get into heaven. You need to be remade. You're not mostly good. I got a few problems here and there, and I'm going to come to Jesus. He's going to make me a better person. I worked with a guy for a long time, and he would always say this to me. I just... I come to Jesus because I need him to fix a few things that are off in my life. I'm saying that's not what Jesus wants. He wants you to be made new. We're corrupted to the core. The Bible says your heart's deceitful, which means you don't actually know how bad you are. Your heart won't let you know how bad you are. And so you don't need to be fixed. You need to be transformed. That's in your spiritual DNA. I mean, if you don't like how your nose looks, 
You can get a surgeon, and he can fix that. If you don't like the color of your hair, you can dye it. But you can't change your DNA. You cannot change who you are at the most basic levels. And the same is true of your soul. You can modify your behavior towards God and towards other people for a little while. But you can't change who you are at the core. The hair is going to keep growing in the same color it was before. You must be born again. The Christian life is supernatural. That's what this means. The Christian life is supernatural. If all you need is a little more information to be saved, that's natural. If all it takes is for me to put together a compelling enough sermon to persuade you to follow Jesus, that's natural. If I can give you just the right feelings about God, either through medicine or through a good talk, that's natural. But if God must change your soul, it's supernatural. Any real worship you have ever experienced is only because the Spirit of God gave you the ability to see and enjoy the truth. That's true of any real worship you've ever experienced. Any real spiritual change that you've experienced for the better is only because the Spirit of God gave you the ability to see God and enjoy Him. Any real faith that you've ever exercised is only because the Spirit of God allowed you to see the greatness of God and trust Him. All real spirituality is enabled by the Holy Spirit changing you to the very core. That's why the new birth is necessary. Do you see? Do you see the problem that Jesus is presenting to Nicodemus? You cannot see the kingdom of God Know him, enjoy him without it. And that's why in our gatherings, we should care more in, in this time here. We should care more about the Spirit's work than about our program or the mood that we set. I mean, those, those things are important. Programming, making sure everything works when it's supposed to. Mood, God uses stuff like that, you know, we don't have blazing lights in here because, or the music too loud because that turns people off. It matters. But if the Spirit's not working, nothing gets done. The best sermon in the world can do nothing to bring a dead soul to life. The best music on the planet sung by the best singers in the world with the best lyrics in the world can do nothing to bring a dead soul to life unless the Spirit of God works. He uses those things. He uses the preaching of the Word. He uses good music. He uses means. But He is decisive. Without the Spirit, zero spiritual good happens. The Spirit uses the Word to make us born again. He uses it. So 1 Peter 1.23 says, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. That's kind of like what Malloy read in Ezekiel 37. Those bones were just laying on the ground. And do you know what God told Ezekiel to do? Preach to them. Preach to the bones. 
The bones weren't asking to be resurrected. God said, preach to the bones. And as he preached through the word of God, the spirit came and gave them life. God's word is how the spirit makes people born again. So the word being spoken to unbelievers matters. You shouldn't think, well, the spirit does everything. I'm not going to do anything. No. You speaking the truth to unbelievers is how the spirit moves in. But it's the spirit that must make people alive through the word. So we share the gospel, we preach, but then we pray and leave the results to God because he causes the growth. We don't preach and then pressure people. Here's the gospel. Come on. Come on. Come on. You want it? Take it. Take it. Take it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Or we're going to play this song 100 times until everyone in the room makes their way to the front. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If you can pressure people in the power of the flesh to become Christians, they're not Christians. Fleshly pressure produces fleshly results. Is this humbling to you? It should be. You and all that you are cannot save yourself or anyone else. You must be born again. So how does it happen? Who here, show of hands, birthed themselves? We got one. Who decided to be born? Anybody? That's not the way it happens. I think, I mean, there are OBGYNs in here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think anyone in this room decided to be born or birthed themselves. You were born. It's something that happened to you. Look at verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus has one final humbling for us. In verse 8, Jesus is saying, being born of the Spirit is like the wind blowing. There's evidence that it's there. You can hear it. But you can't see the air as it's coming. No one can see air. And you can't tell which way it's going to grow, go after it blows through you. You can't control it. You can't predict. It blows where it wishes. I'm sure you've seen this before in the woods, forest, jungle. You've looked up. You see trees. Some of them are blowing. And the ones right next to them aren't moving at all. Keep looking up. These start blowing. And the others are staying still. Better for our context. You've seen some trash on the ground. One piece gets picked up next to the pile. The rest just stays there. The wind is zipping around some things. It's blowing right through other things. It goes where it will. It moves where it wishes. In Greek, the word wind and the word spirit are the same word. They're the exact same word. Jesus is using that fact to make a point. What is Jesus saying? Let's just substitute the word wind with the word spirit. 
The Spirit blows where it wishes. You don't control it. You can't guarantee when it's coming, and you don't tell it where to go. This is why it's such a funny thing to schedule a revival. I don't know what background you come from. Do you come from backgrounds where they schedule revivals? Anybody? I do. There's going to be a move of the Spirit. It's coming soon. We're going to set up a tent. It's going to be in that building November 20th. There's going to be a revival. No, there's not. You don't manage the wind's calendar. You don't tell the Spirit where he'll be and what he'll do. He blows where he wishes. That word wish, we've seen it before in this book. John 1.13. In John 1.13, we hear this. We Christians were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is no one on planet earth who wills themselves into the new birth. The Spirit does. And He blows where He will. That's the final reason anyone is born again. The ultimate reason anyone is born again is because the Spirit wills. And you may say, but I believed. I did that. I did that. You did. And you must believe. But you only believe because the Spirit first blew on you. For the first time in your life, you were sane. You saw reality as it actually was. For the first time in your life, your eyes were open to see God is the treasure of the whole universe, and I don't have him. But Jesus went to the cross to pay for sins I've done so that I might have him forever. And you did what any newly sane person would do. You ran to him. You believed. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Most people think I believed and that's why I was born again. And Jesus is telling us, you believed because you were born again. The Spirit's the one who did it. Not because we willed it or wanted it. We didn't. But because He willed it. And that's why we wanted it. This week... I struggled with Jesus' response to Nicodemus. I mean, just imagine your unbelieving neighbor comes to your house and says, you know what? I think Jesus might be from God. Would you say to them, you can't know anything unless the Spirit lets you know it? In fact, you can't know anything unless a miracle happens to you and you're born again. 
Most of us wouldn't say that. I thought, how is this helpful, Jesus? How is this helpful counseling? You're the best one. It's helpful because Jesus wants you and me and Nicodemus to know, to recognize that every single last part of our salvation is something that God deserves credit for and not you. You decided to follow Jesus because the Spirit decided to change you. What should knowing that do in your heart? What should knowing that do to you? If you're a believer, it should make you very thankful. You're not born again because your will is stronger than the unbeliever next to you. You're not born again because you're smarter than the rest of them. You're born again because God decided it should happen to you. When you get to heaven, here's what you can say. Oh, God, thank you. I was insane, blind, running straight to hell. I would have ignored you my entire life. I was evil, I was blind, I was dead, and you made me alive. You made me sane so that I could see your glory and how precious it is and come to Jesus and be saved and have joy in life. And it's all mercy. That's what we'll say. And he will look very great on that day. What if you're not a believer? Or you're struggling to know, how can I know I've been born again? If it hasn't happened to you, it may. It will certainly happen to someone that you know. The question for you is this. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you want to be forgiven for your sins so that you can live with God forever? If the answer is yes, it means you have been born again. The evidence that you've been born again is that you believe. You want Jesus. You didn't used to want him. You want God. You didn't used to want him. That's evidence you've been born again. Don't look for the wind. You won't see it. Don't look for the Spirit. You won't see Him. Don't look, am I born again? Look for the evidence that the wind has been there. Look for the evidence that the Spirit has been blowing. Do you believe? If so, it's because of God. God gets the credit for your new birth. Any good thing in you is a result of him changing you. And he's arranged your salvation this way so that you don't get to boast. None of us do. None of us gets to boast over other Christians either. I was less naturally born than you were. I was less lost and dead than you were. No. We get humbled with this truth, and we get happy because we get God. He's amazing. Let's pray.
Jesus. There's no one wiser than you. So no one can give more wise counsel. And there's no kinder heart than you. So no one can give more loving counsel. And you spoke to this man at night and told him he could not see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. And then you told him he couldn't be born again unless the Spirit willed it. Why? Because you're wise and you're kind. Thank you for the truth that we have nothing to boast of in our salvation. It's because you looked at us in our helpless estate. You raised us to life. You gave us the new birth. You gave us sanity to see that you are what we were made for. So what we want to do now is give you all the praise and all the glory. We don't want to hold on to any vestige of self-earning or credit for ourselves. We want to say all the credit is yours, God. Would you make us people who, by the Spirit and through the new birth, go out with the Word? And as we preach and as we teach, would you make dry bones come to life? That's our hope. Please, would you do it, God? Would you renew us this morning? Would you change us? Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for purchasing him for us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.